One of the ones that he ended up settling on is a question that goes like this. It's basically like, if there's one person in your life that you could give gratitude to, that you don't give enough gratitude to, who would that be? Podcast Junkies, Harry Duran, your host here. Thank you for uh, playing along with this experiment. I'm recording this intro in the car. I'm going to pick up dinner. (laughs) And uh, time is running out. I have to get on a plane tomorrow to go to Podcast Movement and hopefully uh, meet some of you listeners there. I'm excited for that. First big podcasting conference since PodFest in 2020. We all remember what happened then. I have gone to another conference. It was the uh, Indoor AgCon for the second show I do called the Vertical Farming Podcast, which has been a fun project, to say the least. Learned a lot. And uh, that's actually the subject of my talk. So for those that are attending, I'll be speaking on Saturday, talking all about how I've generated more than 50K in revenue from that show and actually landed my first sponsor before published my first episode. So that's pretty crazy. So anyways, I wanted to get this in. This week's episode is with Jonathan Bailey Strong, longtime podcast friend. We met at MapCon years ago, and uh, we've just stayed connected in the podcasting scene. And it's funny that I just realized that I had never had him on the show, and it was nice to just have a long conversation. Our long conversations are always fun. And I got to learn some things about him that I did not know, which is always cool. So... As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. And so many things coming up that I'm trying to think as I'm here in the car, (laughs) all the things I'd normally cover. But also check out new podcast apps. I always give a plug for that. For those of you that are following what's been happening with the world of crypto and Bitcoin and getting direct compensation from your listeners, new podcast apps list all the apps that support all the the interesting features being rolled out by the group at podcastindex.org, which is Dave Jones and Adam Curry of MTV fame. Yes, for the old schoolers, people old enough to remember what MTV was. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right. And the link will be in the show notes as well. Looking forward to sharing my interview with Dave Jones, which was really, really, really good. I really enjoyed that a lot. And uh, that's going to be coming out hopefully next week or the week after. So trying to get caught up all work-related stuff. And this week is going to be bananas because I know that as soon as I land, I'm actually speaking at a training with the group from the osa collective marla was kind enough to be on the show a couple of weeks ago for those of you that remember that and so that's going to be in santa monica on tuesday night and then wednesday we kick off the festivities at podcast movement so it'll be nice to see some old friends and i'm also planning to be at pod fest in may may ish i think it is end of may so again looking forward to that as well so <laughs> lots of things cooking up in the world of podcasting as we all get back into the swing of things and uh, I'm excited to share that time with you. Okay, after a couple of technical hiccups, Jonathan Bailey Strong, founder of Spotlight Podcasting, host of Leaders in Consulting and Podcasting for Consultants. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies, long overdue. Pleasure is mine, Harry. Thanks for having me on. Do you remember where we met? I'm going to say it may have been a pod... Going to be at a podcast conference. Podcast, yeah, definitely. I'm thinking it was probably the Mid Atlantic Podcasters Conference, which is yeah, Maps MapCon. Yeah, and which is now rebranded from MapCon to Indie. I'm going to say IndieCon. Is that right? Yeah, Joe Pardo will kill me. <laughs> Shout out to Joe Pardo, the hardest working man in podcasting conferences. Yeah, it was a special moment in time, and I don't know if we'll ever get back to that. But I had been to Podcast Movement a couple of times, and then. I ran into Joe and he said, oh, you should check out this small indie one. And I think it's just 150 people tops. It may be that, maybe a couple of, maybe if that, because I I just, what I loved about it is it was in, it was like a Holiday Inn in Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. And single track. So everything happens in the room. And it was all like of our podcasting friends. I know like Jessica Kupferman was down there. 
Dave Jackson came down, I think, for one or two, and just like all of our like the in the E folks that we know, and that's that's probably makes sense where we we would have met. But I was just the intimacy. I think is what I loved about it. I went for two years, um, and I met and met some good friends and built some new friendships there, which which I think is is special. I don't know if that's that's ever going to happen again. Yeah, there's a little bit of magic in those smaller conferences, isn't it? Yeah. Because they're just so much more intimate, and you really get to know people. I also the first one I went to down at the Holiday Inn you mentioned, I came down with uh, with Francesco who runs Speaker Francesco Biasheri, if I get his name correct, lovely Italian guy, who I've gotten to know quite well in New York, and um, yeah we drove down in his car, so I kind of got like he's been in the space for a long time, he's he's done the whole kind of you know Silicon Valley like you know living in Palo Alto or whatever you know so he's got a lot of life experience, so I had that whole. You know, he downloaded a lot of information from him on the car journey over as well. So that must have been fun. Where did you guys meet? So we met because through a podcasters meetup in New York, which he didn't attend, but I just went through the list of <laughs> attendees. Okay. And I just picked out people I thought sounded interesting. I was very new to New York, so I moved here 2017. Where's that exactly, New York? I'm in uh, East Elmhurst, okay. which is in Queens, east side of New York. I love it here. You know, I grew up there, right? I grew up in Yonkers. And then I lived in Williamsburg, Lower East Side, yeah. and Upper East Side, East Village, yeah. Oh, so you've been all over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I live here in East Elmhurst, and, and I really like this side of town. It's very, as you know, like super culturally diverse. Supposedly, our neighborhood and the, our neighboring neighborhood, Jackson Heights, is uh, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> I believe Definitely that. Definitely <laughs> in New York City, it's the most, yeah. So it's got like millions of languages spoken here. But going back to the uh, story of Francesco, so... I kind of reached out to him and uh, we met up, had lunch at Whole Foods, I think it was, <laughs> and found quite a few commonalities. So basically he got married around the same time as I did okay. before I moved to New York. Like we moved, both moved to New York at the same time as well. We're both from Europe. And it's funny because I, I met him and then I met other people. Like I have two other really great friends in New York now who are same thing. European, okay. moved to New York around the same time, got married around the same time. One of them also owns a podcast hosting company. That's funny. So yeah, we kind of formed a motley crew in uh, in New York, which is nice. Where's Francesco now? He's still based here. Okay. He's not with Spreaker anymore, is he? So Spreaker became Voxnest sort of through mergers. Yep. I think it was with uh, Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Sort of like a legacy platform, which they kind of incorporated into their whole sort of ecosystem. With, like they've got you know, quite a different, they've got a whole stack of different, they've got, you know, insertion technology and they've got, you know, obviously Spreaker, which is a hosting platform, but they got acquired by iHeartMedia. Oh yeah, that's right. So hard to keep up with what's happening. I mean, I listen, you have to listen to pod news. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And have you heard the new one, the weekly recap one with Brian Barletta and Evo? Yeah. The, is that Sounds Profitable? No. So it was teased at the end of one of the Sounds Profitable episodes. Oh, okay. And uh, for just, I'm going to caution the listener. This is We're probably just going to geek out more than I normally do on podcasts because <laughs> I'm talking to you. So it's like inside podcasting. But what I thought, it was at the, it's one of the last ones. That, it's, it's simple. It's, it's the cut or the, the recap or something like that. I'll try to look it up. But it's a weekly recap of the news, like with like, very well produced with like music and stuff like that. So if you look at like, if you just look at Sounds Profitable, the last one or two episodes, they got such a good reaction to it that they published a couple more on that feed before it's going to go out on its own feed. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have to check that out. So yeah, to that point, there's no shortage of news in terms of what's happening in this space. So for folks that don't know you or have heard about you, like how did your podcast and journey start? Sure. So I'm trying to think where I should start from. Like, do you want the long, condensed highlights? <laughs> so I started off my career. Well, let me go back to like, I'll briefly just sort of mention my education. So I, yeah. I grew up in Belgium. I went to school there. After school, I went to university, Edinburgh, studied music at Edinburgh University, where I'm originally from. So I'm Scottish, but I was born and grew up in Belgium. And then after I finished my music degree, I decided that I didn't want to go down the traditional path that most people took after finishing their music degrees, which was basically going into teaching. I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to do something else. I had an affinity for playing around with computers. Having grown up in the Belgian countryside, we were cut off from a lot of the outside world. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, was, I knew my, my way around the computer. So I ended up doing a master's in computer science. It's kind of like a conversion course at Bath University. 
university in, uh, in England. And then subsequent to that, I started my career in consulting, technology consulting for a small consult, boutique consultancy in telecoms. Did that for quite some time in London. And then at one point I took a sabbatical because a lot of people did. And so I was like, yeah, why not? That sounds like fun. I enjoyed my consulting career there. I would say, you know, some like I find with often working in consulting, like when you work on client projects, there are a couple of variables. One is location. Is the location fun? Is it a good place to be? Or is it not? Is the work interesting or not? And do you jive with the people? And it's rare that you always you get all of them at the same time, you know, in your favor. So it was like from project to project. Anyway, that said, you know, sometimes the commutes were pretty tedious. So I ended up listening to quite a few podcasts. So that's kind of where my podcast listening journey started. Yeah, yeah. And then when I took that sabbatical that I mentioned, I was traveling around Southeast Asia. I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss a couple of years before. I thought it was uh, great stuff, paradigm changing. But at the same time, it seemed to me like it was the, what Tim Ferriss was describing was a lot of stuff that just seemed completely foreign to me. And most of the people he described, they seemed like, to me, they were like, oh, this is what crazy people from California do. You know, <laughs> this isn't really accessible to the rest of the world. But when traveling around Southeast Asia, I started to meet people who were just like normal, average Joes, really. And so kind of got a little bit steeped into that world. And as part of that kind of journey, I was in the Philippines on a boat party and I met a chap. His name is Ian Robinson. He was doing an internship with a chap called Chris Ducker. So he was kind of doing this sort of remote work thing. Chris Ducker is a well-known entrepreneur, British guy, who became known as the guy to help you find your VA in the Philippines. And one of the things that Ian was doing with Chris was helping Chris with his podcast. And when I returned to my desk job, I was like, I met all these people and that was cool and it kind of inspired me. But, you know, I finished that sabbatical, came back to my desk job and on another project, which where it wasn't, the location was amazing, but the work was a little tedious. And it was, I was basically doing stuff on spreadsheets that didn't require a lot of brain power. So I used to listen to podcasts again at work. And some of the podcasts I listened to were podcasts I noticed that Ian was publishing. Okay. And I started giving him feedback. I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is great stuff. Uh, I noticed this or that. And he was like, oh, this is amazing feedback. Would you actually, I'm looking for a little bit of help. I've got, you know, quite a lot of workload because he basically spun out the activity he was doing with Chris supporting his podcast into a small agency of his own called Freedom Podcasting. And so I was like, sure. So I started basically, you know, moonlighting after hours or like lunch breaks, I would be editing podcasts. And I took to it like a fish in water because obviously I did music and I, I was actually more interested in the music technology side of things and the audio technology side of things. So a lot of that stuff was just like, I was like, oh, this is a piece of cake, really. What were you using? What, what DAW? So to start off with, it, it was Audacity and Garage Band. Okay. Yeah, I kind of look back on those days with fond memory, <laughs> like technology. Well, I, I took music production because I did, uh, I was Eddie Group DJing, so vinyl and turntables. And then I was like, oh, I gotta, I'd like to learn. So I learned mastering and mixing. And so I, I knew Ableton Live. And so when I started Podcast Junkies, I was like, I was editing podcast episodes in Ableton Live because I was like, that's the, that's the only tool I knew. But it was definitely overkill for what I needed. Yeah, absolutely. I've since... It's interesting. I think maybe I've gone the other way. Like, so I started off with Audacity and now I'm like, I'm using Reaper, which. Yeah, that's a, yep. But yeah, it's, it was, uh, you know, it was back in the day when there weren't like nowadays, there are loads of different companies that do podcasts, you know, help you set up your podcast and help you produce it. Back in those days, there really weren't, as far as I'm aware, there were like, I think we may have been probably the first that you could find online if you googled like podcast editing the name sounds really familiar and uh, what year was this do you remember yeah back in the day it was basically freedom podcasting then there was casual podcasting with ben Kruger. so yeah but they used to be called authority engine i think it was and then they and then they rebranded i'm pretty sure he was a little bit he was around the same time but a little bit later and then there was also we edit podcast which came after that and then and nowadays you just got all kinds of podcast companies <laughs> but it's also come with the growth of podcasting as well so there's a lot more demand for it as well so there's offer and demand there but yeah when we started out it was basically ian his wife and myself uh just running that company we oh. it was right place right time 
I guess. Yeah, you know, we ended up working with Tim Ferriss, so we helped him launch his show. That's probably the biggest name that everybody knows. Talk about full circle. You read for our work week, and <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, that's a name that everybody recognizes, like most people in the street. If I'm very honest, like my sh- involvement in that show was quite minimal, but I was still involved. I helped choose the cover arts. <laughs> very good. So there you go. Uh, but I was much more involved in other shows like um, uh, Lewis Howe's School of Greatness, Good Life Project, a whole bunch of other shows with like really huge audiences, but a slightly less name recognition than Tim Ferriss. That's how I got started in podcasting. I'll- what were you thinking at the time? And did you have any thoughts that maybe you'd want to do your own show? Or were you thinking that production and because of the skills that you had, that you could double down on that and just take advantage of that increasing wave and interest and build up the agency? So at the time, so I did this work with, with Freedom Podcasting with Ian for about, I think it was sort of like a year and a half. So I, I had that opportunity to live that remote lifestyle, the digital nomad thing that, you know, people are are keen about. I was a little bit keener on taking the future of that work in a slightly different direction than what Ian was envisioning. So, you know, I was much more interested in sort of like not doing the editing out ums and ahs and so on. (laughs) I wanted to kind of go more into the biz dev side of things and this and that. So there was a little bit of a difference in vision, whereas he was more interested in kind of bringing on more people like him and and having this sort of, it was just a different kind of vision of where the company would go. So I kind of opted out. And the thing was, I was never really at that time fully involved in the, you know, the business development side of things. And so I didn't necessarily see an easy avenue to kind of go, okay, great. I'm going to start my own service and find clients from here and there. Probably could have done it. But it also came with like slightly changing interests. So I, I did the remote thing for some time and then I got a little bit homesick and, you know, missed my friends and stuff. And so I came back to London and I got more involved in the startup space and I went through career accelerate, well, sort of career transition program called Startup Institute. Fantastic program. Great experience. It was created by some of the team from Techstars. Techstars being a well-known, like a startup acceleration program, similar to, in some ways, the Y Combinator. But whereas Y Combinator started in the Valley, Techstars started out of nowhere, like Boulder, Colorado. Which is like, what? Yeah, but they definitely built themselves up to be a recognizable name. Yeah, exactly. They've, they started around a similar time as, as Y Combinator and evolved into being this kind of this model that's been replicated in, in different cities. Anyway, so some of the team from Techstars noticed that a lot of these companies that came out of that program that raised lots of cash and they were like, you know, they were doing great things and they were expanding and scaling rapidly. And one of the biggest problems they had was hiring the right kind of talent. And it wasn't necessarily that there was a shortage of people with the right technical skill. It was more about people who understood what it was like to work in a startup. And so that's where Startup Institute kind of evolved from. It's a when it was a, it no longer exists, but it was amazing while it was still around. And it was basically a mentor-led program where you would have uh, people working front in startups that would come in. You would do a partner project. So we work with a, a company called Memrise. They're like an education technology company that help people. It's like Duolingo. And it was co-founded by a world memory champion. <laughs> really interesting experience to work alongside those guys. And then subsequent to that program, I worked for a subsidiary of IBM's doesn't sound very startup-y, but <laughs> I was basically their community develop a community development manager, which was, uh, was quite an interesting experience, yeah. Did the incubator have any notable exits or companies they worked with? So it was more about helping people transition from some people coming from all different kinds of backgrounds, like, you know, myself, you know, people transitioning straight from corporate into, into startup land and basically trying to figure out, like, where did their skill set and their background fit best? And it was also about building all these connections. So it's more, it wasn't necessarily about building companies up. It was more about helping individuals tap into the startup ecosystem. And one of the things that I did, yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of how the program worked. It was great. It was still around. Unfortunately, yeah, no longer there. But it, they had presence in New York, in Chicago, and it was this network that I was able to tap, to tap into when I moved to New York about like 2017. Okay. I basically was able to kind of go, oh, great, you know, who else, you know, is from Startup Institute and just, you know, just immediately had all these people who'd, who'd been through a similar lived experience. What prompted the move or to New York? To New York, my wife. 
<laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So I've been sort of on and off living in London for 10 years or so. And I met my wife through a Colombian friend of a Colombian friend of a Colombian friend. There was a, yeah, a best friend con- Colombian connection who basically introduced me to her when she came over to study a master's in London. And yeah, you know, we met, had our love story and decided like after she finished her master's, we basically made a decision. She came over from New York. So she was originally from Colombia, Colombia, but she's you know got American nationality. And yeah, we basically decided, you know, where should we live? Should we move to New York? I was like, yeah, why not? I love big cities. Very cool. Yeah, my ex is Colombian, so I'm well-versed in the Colombian culture and food. That's how my Spanish improved as well. So <laughs> grateful for that experience. Yeah. You know, the other day I realized that there's an emoji for arepa, which is like a, a flatbread. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I love arepas, yeah. <laughs> that was a new discovery. And uh, and for tamales as well, which is like a another Colombian delicacy. Random emoji factoids that probably have never been revealed on any previous episode of, of the podcast. So thank you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> which is something I'm going to tap into in a second. So w- when you got back to New York, were you still doing the consulting? So when I moved to New York, I had no idea what I was going to do, really, to be honest. I, you know, my work with IBM, Softlayer, it was basically, a, it was basically like a, a hosting company that IBM acquired. Okay. And we ran a sort of evangelism program, basically saying to startups like, hey, do you guys want free... <laughs> my job was so... Like, in some ways, it was quite... I understand the purpose of the job, but in some ways, I think, like, that's such a, ri- a ridiculous position. Like, <laughs> because we would go around and we'd basically just be the guys who would dish out free credit. We'd be like, guys, we know you're working hard on this, you know, this problem and you need server powers and you guys might become the next Netflix or Facebook of the world. You need servers and we, we're happy to give you a year's... Was this like an AWS? Yeah, so it was, yeah, for, you know, the classic example would be AWS, Amazon Web Services. Okay. So we were a competitor of theirs. They had their startup program, we had ours. And so that was a startup program that I basically helped represent. And so it was our job to kind of go around building awareness of the program, but also just being like helpful people who could connect people to the right kinds of investors or, you know, ecosystems or... And so we go into a lot of these acceleration programs like Techstars and others and do office hours, see how we could help the startups and basically help sort of connect them to the whole ecosystem, you know, experts, advisors, whatnot. And then also just basically say, oh, by the way, here's a bunch of free credit. And there was also a very social aspect to it as well. So it was basically taking lots of people out for drinks and uh, attending conferences, running startup competitions. Okay. So that's where you were working when you did the move? Yeah. So that, so basically I did that with IBM Softlayer. And then my work with them came to the end. IBM had a very different culture from Softlayer. So it was like big corporate, you know, legacy company with a very much a startup company that was born out of Texas. <laughs> so Did you have something else lined up? So prior, like my work with them finished not that long before moving to New York. So I was like, I'm like, you know, I'm open to opportunity. One of the things I did when I moved to New York is I, yeah, just, you know, started networking, getting to know people. And I started listening to actually, yeah, a couple of introductions were made. And one of the things I like to do when I'm introduced to someone is like, see if they've been on a podcast. And I usually find that's the best way to get to know someone. (laughs) And I did that with a chap who actually later became a client, but that podcast he was on, I really liked. It was called Access to Anyone. It's fantastic if uh, if anyone's looking for a good recommendation. It's a show that basically helps you understand. It's mostly oriented around helping you understand how to grow, like build a network in a very authentic way, not be a douchebag when you're getting to know people and stuff. It's run. It's hosted. It's now hosted by a chap called Michael Roderick. Oh yeah, I know Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I bet Michael. We were in a uh, mastermind together. That's wild. He's a. I was just thinking, like, access to anyone. Oh, that's like a perfect podcast for like anyone who's into networking, because I imagine that's the theme of it. And then you mentioned Michael. I was like, wait a minute. That's exactly what he does. Yeah. So Michael Roderick is is a fantastic, lovely guy. As I'm sure you know very well. And he used to have a co-host on that show called Michael Shine. Okay. And I think I just like sent them some feedback on on Twitter and I mentioned Shine. So it's the two Michaels. It used to be the two Michaels. 
And Michael Shine responded. He was like, oh, great. Thanks so much for this. And um, he's like, oh, I'd love to you know, have a chat on the phone. It's your background, you know, basically kind of looked a little bit at my background. Okay. Uh, we got on the phone and uh, he suggested that he was actually looking for someone to help with his agency called Microfame Media. They basically help consultants build their own sort of thought leadership platform. He helps them publish books, but also as part of that, he often helps them launch podcasts and okay. and get them produced and so on. And just at that time, he happened to have an opening for you know someone to manage that production. So you can see how this is all kind of coming full circle. <laughs> I did that for some time and and then eventually decided, yeah, why not kind of spin off my own? Th- I've been kind of doing working as a number two as an, or as an operations person for for some time. And I've got some very you know opinionated ways of doing things. I should probably just <laughs> run my own. So just do your own thing. What do you talk about the thought process? Because I mean, I like to people glamorize sometimes to jump into like entrepreneur land and uh, like I ditched my job and I left them and I'd like but I mean the truth for me is that I was doing consulting on that my last nine to five and thankfully it was flexible enough where I was able to like do some remote stuff so it was, I kind of had a nice transition job but it was in business intelligence and it was in you know supply chain stuff related to business intelligence they were and it was in the consumer package goods CPG so Unilever was my client for example, so I'd go to Jersey once a month. I was living in LA. I was traveling once a month back to Jersey. <laughs> but I realized they were bringing in a senior consultant. And I was like, oh, he's going to replace me. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to like start something. That's where I, I had the podcast junkies going on for an hour. I hired a business coach and I sort of was like pushed off the ledge and just like, you're going to start your own thing because right now that's the only option you have. So I wonder what your mindset has and what you're thinking. You're the number two. What's happening in your life or in your mind? to help you feel like this might be the next right step for you? Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess I had, I tried a couple of things in the past, you know, there are a couple of full starts. I think I would say, you know, it wasn't always clear cut that I would be running a podcast agency. And for some time I, I had considered it, but didn't really pull the trigger. I guess, you know, part of it is just like, there's so many other operations out there. And it was really just like a question of finding that niche But just like sitting down and just going through a thought exercise of like, okay, based on my background and, you know, where does that Venn diagram really fall? Okay, I I did the consulting thing, kind of enjoyed it, you know, parts of it. How can I take some of that and combine it with like this, like fixation on technology that, you know, I have (laughs) plus audio and it kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, it came to me immediately. And, you know, there were, I think there are always pros and cons of going into you know, any entrepreneurial endeavor. And it, it just took me a while to to weigh those up and then actually figure out, okay, there is a way. I think part of it is like, I was a little bit short-sighted at first and felt that, you know, you look at how many other podcast production companies there are out there and you really think to yourself, well, is this a race to the bottom? Is it just, you know, and if, I think if you're, so I think there are two things, right? If you're just going to focus on the execution side of things, then it might be a little bit of a race to the bottom. But even then, I've noticed that there are some companies that really try and make it as cheap as possible to to produce your episodes. Shout out to Podknife. Podknife, yeah. <laughs> but I noticed that, but there have been plenty of those before, and I always find that they fizzle out after a certain point. They get acquired, and the, the, the new company has a different vision and kind of does something different with them. So that one thing. So What's interesting about that is, it's hard for the end consumer to understand like what's in, like, like I think on, at, at face value, if you just see what they're doing, they're like, oh, they're just going to edit my episode or, you know, you're going to write some basic show notes for me. What's the big expense? And I think what we've been doing at Fullcast and, and me personally, just because I'm moving more into my spirituality, like I want to work with folks who are working on like more like consciousness raising content. And I'm like, stepping out of my comfort zone, I call it coming out of the spiritual closet. (laughs) But that's like the content that I love. And I want to deliver at a premium level to an audience that doesn't understand it. And I want to take away all the technical challenges for them. And it seems like because you had the experience in consulting, that's some of the the thought process you went through as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way that you talk about that, you know, I think of positioning, you know, like who's your service for and who are the people you really jive with and you get in the work that you really get excited about, you know? Yeah. I think what's interesting and, and while you gather your thoughts, I think talking about entrepreneurism, like I think 
now that I've had a bit of distance between my nine to five and now, like people probably look and they're like, well, this is exciting what you're doing. And I'm like, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's, you know, when you're talking about your livelihood depends on you going out and like, you know, finding out where to fish, doing the fishing, dressing the fish, like selling the fish, marking the fish, packaging the fish, like all the things. And you have to be comfortable with like failure a lot. I tried several like thousand dollar programs like, oh, like this weird Facebook like thing. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember I spent a thousand bucks on it one time. And I was like, what was I thinking? It was like some sort of weird marketing thing. And you try a lot of things and you, you fall down a lot. And I used to just like wallow more often just be like, oh shit, I just can't believe I did that. But now it's just like, I feel like I just pop right back up and I'm like, that didn't work. That didn't work. Like, I mean, I'm just like consistently like just be more comfortable with failure. It's not a, like a, as much of a, a bad thing now. It just feels like just a lesson learned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, so just on the question of like, okay, right. Approaching, you know, we talk about podcast production, but you could probably apply this to other areas as well, like agency life in general, or, or, or providing a, you know, a service, whether it's, you want to call it an agency or a productized service or whatever it may be. I think that you've got the execution part. So that's one thing you can get really good at. You can be, you can try and be, you know, world-class there and everyone has their own kind of slight differently, you know, slightly different slant on that. There's that niching, like figuring out exactly like, is it B2B? I've always veered towards the, the B2B. And is there a specific kind of client, you know, that you really can adjust your messaging or, or like really, really hone in on and figure out a solution that works really, really well for them and be the best at that? And then I think also there's like, aside from the execution, there's also the strategy part, which is massive in podcasting. And I think having the benefit of experience of like being in this since, well, you've been in it like since donkey's years, like 2014, yeah, you know, really, really helps because you see so much, you, you work with so many. I also find that like one of the challenges with podcasting is that you have so many different possible people to work with, like so many different people trying to start shows, whether it's businesses or hobbyists or whatever, that a lot of the time you just get all these kind of different inquiries and I find it, you know, it's helpful to have that breadth of experience and a breadth of clients sometimes as well. But it's just really helpful to just kind of narrow down and like, okay, who are the people that I really want to work with and I can provide a really great solution with? Yeah, that's, that's just the way I feel like I've, I, I like to think about it. When did uh, Spotlight start? So it's been around since 2019. Okay. Yeah. Any uh, shows you want to shout out? Yeah, well, actually, one of, one of my favorite shows we work with is run by actually the chap I mentioned I'd, I'd listened to on the podcast and I was like, ooh, you know, this is an interesting interview. And I ended up working with, his name's Chris Shembra. And he has a show called 747 Conversations. And it's named after a dinner series that he started running. I think I know that. Is he connected to Michael? Yeah, I would, I would consider him like a, a super connector. Yeah. Yes, he is actually. Was he doing like these Zoom meetups during the pandemic? Yeah. I think I was on one of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Small world. Yeah. So he's got this thing about, you know, giving gratitude. He finds it. Yes, that's it. The gratitude dinners. Yeah. So he does these. So yeah, he started the series of dinners like, and he started them kind of on a whim. And then eventually, you know, they, people really loved them. He would try lots of different formats. He basically, you know, figured out a format that would really, really work for his dinners, kind of codified it, basically has had them down to like what, exactly what everybody does. And he also looked at lots of other kind of dinner formats and how were people able to take that and turn that into an experience that people would be willing to, you know, sponsor maybe as part of like a team bonding experience or, or this or that. And so he basically took those dinners and understood eventually that it was extremely effective with larger companies like or companies that were scaling for their to as a team bonding experience or potentially like to bring their partners and their Makes sense. You know, to create these kind of strategic partnerships with people around the table. But what he would try and do is make everybody really comfortable, feel like it's a safe setting. He would ask these different kinds, he would test out lots of different questions to see like what would really make people connect well. And he, one of the ones that he ended up settling on is a question that goes like this. It's basically like, if there's one person in your life that you could give gratitude to, that you don't give enough gratitude, to, who would that be? And and he, he basically found that that really helped people like open up and be vulnerable. Sometimes a lot of the time there would be like crying around the table. And 
It's a very effective question because it takes the weight of, you know, if you ask me now, like, what are your you know biggest fears or like your biggest challenges? I'd probably like bottle up and I'd probably say something that, you know, that, you know, I wouldn't want to admit what my, you know, my biggest fears are. So I probably. So now I got to scratch those questions from my list. Yeah. <laughs> biggest fears. Yeah, I would basically probably lie, you know, <laughs> or kind of brush over the question. Yeah. But by basically, you know, transferring it onto like a third party, like basically saying, oh, this person that's, you know, is like my father or my mentor or, or this person, that family member. It allows people to be a lot more kind of vulnerable and open up. Anyway, his podcast, which we work with him on, you can check it out. He basically, he just has one question. He doesn't have lots, he doesn't have a whole list of questions prepared. And so I, I, it's quite clever because he's... And so once again, what's the form, what's the question, the format of the question? So the question is, if there's one person in your life you could give gratitude to that you don't give enough gratitude to, who would that person be? Okay, so I, I can't resist, I can't lose the opportunity to just tee this up and ask you <laughs> okay we've got to flip it okay you know actually i think it would probably be my brother okay and i was actually talking to my wife about this the other day my brother and i we were like very close when we were growing up and when he left to go to university you know obviously you know there was that distance and we didn't see each other as much he met his wife and and got married uh, quite early on so and you know had they had kids and so on and so he was quite preoccupied with you know studies and family life and that sort of thing so it meant that you know we saw each other less but something you know even though we don't see each other as much as we used to in the past he's always been there whenever any of us in the family have needed him and that's something i really i don't say enough to him <laughs> it's like We'll make sure you send them a copy of this episode when it goes live then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's, so this is the other effective thing about what Chris does. He just has that one question. So, you know, like the usual thing, like when you come to an interview and I, I'm learning this myself because I, I recently started my own show, interview show, and boy, there's a lot for me to learn. I can tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, the on, thing that you often do is you come with like, you like, you research the, the, the heck out of someone, you've spent hours and you come up like a hundred questions and then you get on the call with them and then, you know, you ask your questions and it's, you're kind of nervous. So you don't really listen to the replies properly. <laughs> and, you just, and you just go into the next question, you just rattle them off. And so you spend so many hours of preparation and, and the experience for the guests is a bit like, it's not very, you know. Yeah, it's jarring. It's, you don't. It's jarring, yeah. It's not, uh, you're not making them feel yeah. at home and you sort of feel like you're just cycling through again, next one, next one, next one. Yeah. And so what Chris has done is he's basically just taken that one question, which he's, you know, he's basically experimented with tons of other questions during his dinners. He's come up with this one question. He's like, okay, this really hits the nail on the head. And so he has this show and he, and he brings on people who, you know, are like incredibly successful founders who are tired of talking about how much money they've raised, how they're scaling, how they're, you know, all the questions that everybody usually asks them when in fact, all they want to talk about is their mummy and daddy issues and, and like who their mentors are and stuff and give, you know, express thanks. And even if like, Look, you know, podcasting, like how many listeners does everybody really have? Most people don't really know. But even a show that only has a few listeners, like, can you think of how valuable those episodes are to the people who come on that show? Because they express, like, they create this memento to someone who meant so much in their life. They've never expressed that amount of gratitude to. And it's a lovely present for that person. So, you know, like... So it's, yeah, it's a very clever thing. And I, I've learned so much from Chris. The other thing I find is he's an incredibly good listener. So he always, like, he just, like, he's really, and he's also a big fan of uncomfortable silences. <laughs> Those are the two things that I, I harp on all the time, like active listening, yeah. intentional curiosity, just like really like, a oh, let's, why'd you do that? Why'd you like come back to New York? Or like, why did you like... Why do you know about Arepa emojis? Like, I'm just, what, I'm just interested in what makes people tick. But that silence thing is interesting. And that's why the video, I did video from day one. I used Skype with Call Recorder. And it was, like, really tricky. But I needed to have the connection, you know. And also, I wanted to, like, build the relationship with the podcasting community. But you can ask a question, and you can see people, like, thinking, or like I'm doing, like, stroking my chin. Like, which answer am I going to give Jonathan here? Like, the cookie cutter one, or, like, has he created a comfortable enough space where I think I can tell him like, what this is really in my heart? And so, but if, if you jump in and you get too nervous or there wasn't video, you'd be like, are you still there? <laughs> like, yeah. 
oh, never mind. I, I'll go on to the next one. It's, it's usually the host that, that bails because they're uncomfortable with it. So that, I'm, I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he can out silence anyone. <laughs> that said, you know, like you say, great active listener and ask really great follow-up questions. It's a skill, though. It's a skill that I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near his level. And, and he's someone who, who I learn from and who inspires, you know, the work I do. I also found that, you know, he also used to do things that were a little bit unconventional. So like, at least in the podcasting space. So he had a preference, well, usually with podcast interviews, like the one we're doing, they're virtual, right? And it makes sense, especially during pandemic and stuff, right? But even pre-pandemic, a lot of people preferred to do virtual first. He was the other way around. He liked to do them in person because obviously virtual, like you don't have to you know, you don't have to commute, you don't have to travel, you don't have to, it's a lot easier. And you can be sort of distracted if you're, you know, like you can have other things going on. It's it's hard when you're in person, it's literally like you and the other person, that's it. Yeah. But he had a preference to do it in person because he wanted to build relationships with people. So he saw the, the podcast as a vehicle to create really great relationships with the guests. I think a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on like, oh, the listener, the listener, and don't get me wrong, you know, <laughs> podcasting is all about, you know, providing something for listeners, but... I think it's that balance. I always say, I mean, I, I, I said this on a previous podcast interview, but it's the three people in the conversation. It's the host, the guest and the listener. And to your point, you, you have to make sure you're not weighted because, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, it, everything's with the listener. And if you did that, is the guest having enjoying themselves and not you've taken an hour of their time? Hopefully they've, they've felt like it's worth it. Yeah. The way of thinking I've come around to is when I start thinking of shit, well, it depends, but it depends what your goals are as well, what your business goals are like, and your, does the proposed show format align with those? But a lot of the time, if you're, you know, if your business goals are really to, you know, create really great relationships with your guests, then there's no reason why you can't. And, and this often works if like, if you think of your show in terms of guest first, you know, what is the show? What kinds of shows, you know, would open up avenues to have conversations with people that you really want to have conversations with. Yeah. And how can I make this like a really real kind of win-win, you know, for those guests that you bring on. And usually I find when you think about it through that lens, that usually the listener stuff falls into place. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. How many episodes are you in with uh, podcasting for consultants? I mean, for uh, leaders and consultants. So yeah, like, like you mentioned, we've got two shows. Podcasting for consultants, like I was saying earlier, like it does what it says on the tin. It just basically helps <laughs> consultants think about how to launch a show and what goes into it. And so it's basically our playbook and the way we like to think about it. So that was a series we did this year. We, we launched this year. Probably going to do a, an annual refresh on that. And then the second show is called Leaders of Consulting, where we talk to people running professional service firms or working as independent consultants and let them come on and kind of tell us more about their journeys as well as like their advice for other consultants as well. And then we kind of go and do a little bit of a deep dive into their expertise. We're now, I think I'm going to say we're around tw- what, 10 actually. Yeah. No, we, we 11 episodes. I think we're in okay. two now. Yeah. Do you notice a difference in your interview styles from one to 11? Yeah. So Initially, I started doing pre-interviews with our guests, with all our guests, and using that as a means to set up the actual interview for success. Sure. So find really great talking points or just have this basic discussion and kind of figure out, okay, how is this going to look? And that's great. But when you're publishing a show like you know, more than once, more than weekly, it requires a lot of time. And I also found that... Uh, even as an interviewer, like doing those, sh- like I'm not like a, an extremely experienced interviewer yet. And I just find it better for myself and often the guests to actually just have like a set structure of questions to fall back on. I know it does may for listeners, it may sometimes come across as formulaic, but I just find that it's easier for the guests to prepare. And by just also just giving yourself license to kind of diverge sometimes, I still do those pre-interview calls with sometimes. It depends also on the preference of the guest as well and how well I know them as well. So if they don't know me from Scooby-Doo to start off with, it's a good idea just to get on a call and get to know each other a little bit and then do the interview. I wonder if at some point a Scooby-Doo reference will seem dated. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read Make Noise? 
Eric Newsom's book? I'm actually reading it right this moment. Yeah, So good. It's almost like the best book I've read about like just overall. There's a lot of stuff that gets technical and because they do audio drama stuff, but there's some stuff. I have it in an app called Readwise and I did a bunch of highlights because I read it on Kindle. So now they refresh. So I spend like five minutes on Readwise every morning. And one of the highlights that popped up today is a quote. I'll just read it out. But it says, there's nothing wrong with simply telling your subject about your objectives here. He's talking about like uh, interviews. Before the conversation starts, as you and the subject are getting settled, it is very common to go over the ground rules for an interview, thanking them for doing it, how to handle it if they need a break or want to do an answer over again. During this exchange, simply add something like, look, I really want this interview to focus on you, so don't be surprised if I'm not saying much. I want to give you as much time to answer so I'm not stopping you or asking another question. Please feel free to keep going. <laughs> that was awesome. So there's a lot of nuggets in there. It feels like I highlighted a bunch, but I keep coming across them because they keep resurfacing because of Readwise. And it's it's one of the, the number one books I recommend for interviewers and, and podcasters producing shows. Yeah, there's a, some absolute gold in, in that. I, I love some of his stories, like the one of how they came up with the format for the Esther Perel podcast. What was that one? I forgot. Well... So they were trying to figure out a format that would work for her. So Esther Perel, for people who are not aware, she's a relationship, I want coach? Therapist? Therapist, yeah. yeah. And she's the person people go to when they've tried all of her new other avenues and nothing else works. She's world class, yeah. Yeah, so usually it's like other relationship therapists who have extremely problematic clients. They send them to her. She does a three-hour mega sesh with them and then sends them back to their original therapist. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, so they were like, you know, and she's amazing. She's also originally from Belgium so and lives in New York, so super cool. And then you've not connected with her? Just I <laughs> know, uh, yeah. So Esther, if you're listening, give me a shout. You know, we can go for a Belgian beer or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she's fantastic. And so when Eric Nuzum and his team were trying to figure out, okay, great, you know, we're going to do this show with Esther. What's going to work best? And they went through all these traditional formats. They tried scripts, but they found that when she was reading those scripts, she came across as a little bit wooden, wasn't the usual, like, kind of flowy, natural Esther that spoke, you know, speaks like a billion languages and, you know, super, you know, just a lovely person. And so they, you know, so she said out of frustration, she was like, look, why don't you guys just mic us up for one of my sessions? Like, what I do with some of my research and writing projects is we let people know that they're being recorded and they can skip the line if they agree to do so. And so you can just come in and record it. And so they went in and there was a, a couple and it was kind of like, you know, the when they were listening back to it, they're like, yeah, this isn't great tape. You know, the couple was, you know, they, you know, just had kind of a normal story, but they noticed something that happened after everybody on the team was doing that recording, everybody went home and had a conversation with their partner about it. Like it was like, he described it as, uh, it was, I think it's the ring where people watch a video and then everyone dies afterwards. And he was like, it's the same thing, but no one died. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> Basically everybody did the same thing. They went, and so they were like, wait, this is really weird. And so they tried this with a bigger sample group and the same thing happened. And so they just, they figured out this is the format. And they just found more interesting couples after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, highly recommend that book. Yeah. And that show as well. So, so much content to consume. I'm just super geeky podcast question. What speed are you at on your podcast app now? Generally 1.8. Okay. Same with videos. Sometimes I, I fluctuate a little bit, go a bit above it's that. It's just overwhelming, I think, because of the work I'm doing, the other side projects I'm involved in. It's I basically squeeze in a show between... When I'm making breakfast, yeah. if I take the dog out, <laughs> I'm trying to think what else when I'm making meals and walks, because otherwise my day is jam-packed. So it's, well, what's interesting is it, it's making me like ridiculously super selective. Like yeah. I listen to podcasting 2.0, I listen to Pod News, maybe a little bit Aubrey Marcus, a one-off Joe Rogan. I'm trying to think what's oh, some, some NFT crypto stuff, because I'm trying to rabbit hole there as well, but... It's really just what's top of mind and what I need to learn like right in the moment as opposed to like what I've always described it as just in case learning versus just in time learning. Yeah. I always find it funny like when you meet your real podcast heroes and you go like, why are you speaking so slow? You're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you don't sound as, as smart as you do on your podcast. <laughs> like you're, you're not that smart, actually. Just speaking of geeking out, some of the, you're always involved in these, these interesting projects. You had a project where you were working on your Figma templates for design is that still something that's active or i know it's something you're testing out like a template so people could create multiple versions of podcast artwork yeah totally so 
this is a project that I started because, like, the, 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 so with my agency, like, we tend to focus a little bit more towards, like, the higher end. Like I say, we do kind of strategy execution and we focus on, like, sort of consultants doing high value services. But that said, I wanted to just kind of dip my toe in the kind of the, you know, digital product space, you know, sort of much lower end entry point. And so this is a project I put together where it was something that we were going to use internally anyway. And so I thought, well, why not kind of create this as a product that people can buy as well? And what it is, is basically, I guess this is kind of insider talk again, but like if let's say you're running a show, a podcast, and you want to create graphics, obviously you've got Canva, but the issue I have with uh, with Canva and other tools like that, Canva being a graphic design tool, is when you create a template, it's one size only. And if you want to kind of change it to a landscape, you go like finicky, do this and that. And then every single time you have like a new guest, you have to like update every single frame. You can't just do it once. And uh, the idea came from another guy who's extremely knowledgeable in podcasting called Jeremy Enns. I was watching a video of his and he was, he's got this really amazing video series. It's uh I feel like a lot of the stuff that Jeremy does is they're all just kind of like these slightly undiscovered gems that you can find all over the place. Uh, but one of them is this YouTube series where he just basically shares how the, his process of launching a show. And in one of those, he, he taught, he shares, he screen shares basically all these templates that he created for his podcast episodes. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, that might be Figma, which is a new tool I've been playing around. And I can understand how... Figma allows you to create components, which is basically like properties, which like once you change the main property, it, it changes them everywhere else. So if you think about a text field, you change it once and it changes that text field everywhere else. So it, what he was showing, it looked very similar to Figma. Actually, it wasn't. It was like Photoshop or something else. But I thought to myself, oh, wouldn't it be great if someone recreated something like that in Figma? And so, yeah, that's what I've kind of gone ahead and, and built. And I think it's really dope. Yeah, I, t- I played around with it. I'm not as well versed in Figma. I think I t- t- and I I don't want to get into these rabbit holes because that's the problem. Like I, I need to start being more high level because I got just more stuff going on. But I, we have a new graphics person that's part time, so I may see if they've got Figma experience to get them playing with that again. But that would yeah. If, it, if it, all I'm looking for for my end and is if it helps shorten the production cycle. <laughs> that's because otherwise, and it's got to be something that's significantly that like, cuts down the time by yeah, at least half, I think would be helpful. But because if it just saves you like 10%, like it's just faster because to, <laughs> to have the, the learning curve to have the team learn a new tool. So is there a link for folks to learn more about specifically that tool? There is, if you bear with me, I can... And don't feel pressured to give it to me right now. You could give it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, if you I give might me a have link. to do that. <laughs> yeah, let's do that because I don't want you to be forced to give me a link that is not ready we use it all the time internally yeah yeah it's great okay so yeah so that any so i don't know if there's anything else you're trying but the other thing i wanted to talk about is your fascination with gifs and uh i always thought about this because i remember probably year one or year two podcast junkies i'm like oh the giphy.com is like an undiscovered gem because it's a search engine because people are always looking for gifs and i was like if i could start putting like all my podcast junkies episodes in there when people's if they ever put Podcast Junkies into the Giphy or Jiffy, whatever the hell the website is called, like our stuff would come up and you've used it. And every time we have a, a chat on Facebook Messenger, <laughs> it's accompanied by one of your animated GIFs of yourself. So just as, as a little uh, fun side, talk to me about your fascination with GIFs. Yeah, GIF or GIF or GIF. I call it GIF, but the original, the creator calls it GIF, doesn't do that. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm just like a big fan of, I just find it fun. Like I love having fun with technology, okay? So, and one of the things I know, you see this on forums or like on Reddit, a lot of people have these reaction gifts, right? So people are like WTF or, or this or that, uh, or like mind blown, Poof, everybody knows that one. And so I, I have like a collection of those. And then I started noticing like people on, on Twitter, I think it was Blake Amal or someone like that, who... Uh, the end of his like Twitter threads, he would have like a his himself doing something funny or pointing somewhere That's smart. in GIF format, and just just one GIF. And I was like, oh, why can't you just do that with everything? Everything, <laughs> like every single reaction GIF, <laughs> like just create your own version of it. And I, it like it, the reaction it gets from everyone is just bananas. And I I think yeah, it's like it's fun, you know. And yeah, it's I think it's actually quite a good 
piece of personal branding that's so different from people instead of just saying like oh well done nice post uh, you'd be like you just have all these like nuts gifts that just make crack everybody up yeah anyway sorry how many are you up to now i've got a library of and we'll put that link in the show notes as well it's uh giphy.com you can create a profile and yeah well i can actually give you the the link to my whole library yeah yeah, yeah. we'll make sure we list this. <laughs> i've got 34 different reactions at the moment and i've got a list of others that i'm going to create that's great um and it's it to, to actually put it together it, it's pretty simple if anyone's familiar with a tool called descript yeah i love descript yeah so a lot of people know descript as for you know especially in the podcasting space audio podcasting to do audio editing so it immediately highlights your ums and all the stuff you want to remove. And you just have a one click thing to remove them all. It's they're still getting better at like completely removing it. And then it does all this amazing piece of tech. And it's actually extremely straightforward, straightforward ish. Have you tried studio sound? I know it's over compressed and it's it, but it cleans up a lot like better than an alphonic. Oh, really? And it's you can tell that it's compressed because it's almost clips a little into a little it's a weird sound if you have it at 100, but you can dial it back so you can do 50%. But for just one click cleanup, it's really powerful. So try that. But yeah, the, that's awesome. Yeah, that tool is good too. Yeah. But Harry, just a parenthesis of all the people I know in the world, like there are very few that know <laughs> like the latest and greatest in technology, apart from you, like you come up with stuff <laughs> that I have not heard of. So yeah, kudos to you. My partner would disagree that that's a a benefit <laughs> because she's like do not tell me about another tool do not because she's i just geek out i've always geeked out on tech i do have to start to find i found a way to sort of catalog it so i'm like not looking at it in the moment and this idea of just in time learning versus just in case has been helpful because i've got so many new projects i'm working on that are more like not just something cool to check out but something like revenue generating stuff that i have to focus on so but i still love i do find stuff i'm testing out a new calendar called cron c-r-o-n it's a standalone calendar because I've, I found that I'd like apps that just do one thing really, really good. So I've been testing that out, but I'm, I use, I think the major tools, if I look at my desktop right now is ClickUp project management has, has been extremely helpful. I use a tool called texts.com. I think I may have told you about that, but essentially it consolidates all your chat tools into one interface. So Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, your phone, Instagram messages, Twitter, DMs. So now you have one panel telegram which i've been using for some stuff related to crypto so i just got one panel and I basically what i do is i on this one screen i split slack and i split text.com into the so you can share a screen together and so that for the most part takes care of like 90 percent of my communication there and it's in, it's in one screen this is really nice people call it the the superhuman of of instant messaging right something like that probably yeah it just does that so yeah, and then Notion, we use a lot for some stuff. Just looking at the bottom of my toolbars, anything new that I've tried. Chrono <laughs> is the latest one. But again, I, I try to, and Sigma OS for browsing. Yeah, yeah, um, I've been using that as well. Yeah. I like and they've got a really robust Slack group. I don't know why I pointed that way. That's where my Slack page is, so. But just going back to the, sorry, the GIF creation, which was like, yeah, very easy to go to segue into lots of other stuff, but the GIF creation with Descript. So Descript is good for audio, but it's also very good for video. It's one of the best video editor, like the most easiest video editors to use. And if you wanted to record your own reaction GIFs, it has easy transcription and you just export as GIF. It's super, pretty straightforward. Yeah. I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> create my first couple well jonathan i think this was uh, as much fun as i thought it would be because we just get to geek out hopefully it's interesting to the listeners as well and uh, anyone who stuck around this far hopefully they learn a little bit more about you but i'm always appreciative of like podcasting journey because if, if you think about mapcon was that four years ago now four or five years ago and i just love the fact that i, I have the platform to just catch up and see what friends are up to and and rather than just trying to find time to talk i'm like let's because we're talking podcasting and it's a show for podcasters then uh, let's just do it on the air so i'm glad you were able to find some time and then share your story yeah absolutely i love this show I'm a, I'm a long-time listener it's like the i feel like it's the go-to who's to who of podcasting yeah yeah so if you're a new listener definitely definitely subscribe and check out the back catalog like even your like super early episodes like so dope yeah i appreciate that and I don't know if Chris uh, gets out on podcasts, your your client, Chris, but I'd love to chat with him about that show. That sounds super interesting. So if we can make that happen as well. And uh, as always, if you've come across any of our peeps in the podcasting space that 
for some reason or other I haven't spoken to, let me know because <laughs> I want to get folks on as well. We'll do. We'll do it for sure. Best place to send folks to connect with you? So I've got my personal website, johnbstrong.com. Okay. That's J-O-N, right? Yeah, it's uh, J-O-N. Yeah. Okay. Not J-O-N. Yeah. No H there. J-O-N-B-Strong.com. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out my new show, it's leadersofconsulting.com. I'm open to feedback. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, tell me I can be a better interviewer. Yeah. Because that's that's a new skill. for Here for just for. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, John. Really appreciate you sharing your time. Cheers, Harry. Thanks again to Jonathan for coming on the show. And thank you, listener, for being patient with my experiments in sound. I literally was just running out of time. I put in the earbuds and I said, let's see what this sounds like. So <laughs> hopefully we can get it a little bit cleaned up so there's not too much background noise. But uh, inside a car is usually where the acoustics are best. Really grateful for you being a listener. I'm really excited to meet with you. If you are going to be in town this week, it's going to be fun. Good time to see a lot of friends and folks that I have not seen in a while and to really get out and about since I'm going to have to pace myself because I want to be excited and want to be hanging out. So anyways, thanks for all you do to support the show. I'll talk to you next week.